our Luke 10. Um, we dropped it at a, um, a point I ask you to think about, and that's um, in Luke 10, 18. When Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, theologians have never agreed on what this sentence means. As we're about to find out, because we only have a few more weeks in Ecclesiastes, and we're going to go right into Job. Uh, so happy book to happy book. Um, Satan in the book of Job is seen as going in and out of heaven. And there are a couple of places in the Old Testament where it seems to indicate that he's also back in there. I've, I've had people ask me all my life, why doesn't God just kill Satan? And my response is, is, is perhaps very inadequate and perhaps even very wrong. But the only reason I can think of is because he loves Satan too. You know, God is love. He doesn't, there's no way Satan's going to win this thing, no way he's going to win. But God still loves and gives everybody their choices. And then we deal with the effect of the choices, regardless of that whether that's right or not. We see some coming and going of Satan, but that stops. And you don't see any of that in the New Testament. You, uh, you, uh, you could argue that uh, Satan had, still had free access to Jesus at the temptation. But there seems to be, when, especially at the cross, if I had to draw a line, I'd put it at the cross. There's no more messing about with Satan. And when you get to the book of Revelation, he never shows up in any of the heaven scenes. He's always portrayed as a distant enemy who is going to be sentenced to a lake of fire that was prepared, um, you know, not for people to get worship wrong, but for the devil and his angels. So there, this break, did he see Satan fall from heaven when he sent the 72 out and they were... Um, then able to do miracles and cast out demons. He said, uh, they were so excited. We, this stuff really works. Um, maybe, uh, I'd say a good section of theologians think it happened at that time. Others believe it happened prior, perhaps after the temptation. And so he's telling them, well, of course, if this works, Satan's already been kicked out of heaven. He's already been defeated, even though he doesn't know it. Revelation 12 would indicate some, you know, and again, it's a very poetic, metaphoric book, but it would indicate that perhaps it was around the birth of Jesus and um, the coming of Herod against the babies that Satan was cast to the earth. Others say Jesus is speaking in a tense that indicates it, you know, I saw it in the future. Uh, there, we don't really have, we have that tense in English. I'm going to back out of that. We have that tense in English, the subjunctive, but we almost never talk about it and it, it doesn't change verb forms. Um, I, don't, I don't even want to go and explain. The, the subjunctive is when you talk about something which uh, is not as if it is, such as I'm going to hire a handyman and he's going to build some cabinets. Uh, I'm going to would be future, and he's going to build would be subjunctive. And they're saying he's using a subjunctive here where he's speaking of something, but it's, hap it's happening in the future. Don't know. Um, did you guys, if you want any uh, questions, the chat box is open. Uh, or if your uh, mics are on, uh, and, and you can turn them on, you can always ask questions. So that this is not a 45-minute uh, soliloquy on the ins and outs of uh, theology. 
I don't know 45 minutes worth of theology, fair warning. Um, in verse 20, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I really like this verse because I lived through the 80s, uh, the late 70s, and then the 80s. And in America, we moved into America in the late 80s. It, this was full bore. It was everywhere. Casting out demons, deliverance uh, ministries, satanic ritual abuse of children, which was never proved ever, but people went to prison for, lost, lost their lives and livelihoods over. Do you remember that? It was in the news. This, this, you know, oh, this is what they're doing. It was an absolute fear-driven thing, but it, theology was written behind it. And so everybody wrote these things about the devil and all the power. Uh, Frank Peretti wrote a really good book, uh, This Present Darkness, which I actually did really like, and a follow-up to it, the pier uh, Piercing the Darkness, which, is, which was good. You know, it was uh, four and a half stars. The first was five stars but it got focused on the wrong thing. People were always focused on beating up Satan rather than reflecting Jesus. Now, at the, at the risk of tweaking people I don't want to tweak, we can do that with other things. I've been in churches where the gifts of the Spirit were all anybody wanted. That's all they could talk about. The Holy Spirit got first, second, third, and fourth names in any rank. Jesus would get mentioned, but he would kind of get mentioned as a backup to illustrate what they're looking for out of the Holy Spirit. And I, I would sometimes go, you know, the Holy Spirit keeps pointing to Jesus. we got to get our focus there. And if you've read your Bibles, um, I have mine on my, um, my phone, but I also have a handy pre-printed uh, edition so that if the internet goes down, there's, if you've read in 1 Corinthians, you know that there is, um, there's a problem with this. They start focusing on the gifts and they lose track of Jesus. We need to be very, very careful that we don't get so excited about defeating the devil that we forget what we rejoice in is our salvation in Jesus Christ. And we don't get so hung up on worship wars, how a church is organized, what do they call their minister, and we, how many things we, we divide over. No, no, focus on Jesus and the divisions, uh, they will lessen. And certainly the drive that, you know, we divided when I was a kid in our churches because we thought we were supposed to and it made Jesus happy. Had we focused on Jesus, I don't think we would have gotten there. But we didn't know that. We, we, what we did we did in ignorance, thinking we were doing the right thing. So no judgment. Um, just, I like that. Remember what to brag about. Um, you know, I, I brag about my Fourth Avenue church, but you, and you can go back through social media, whatever. You're not going to say, you know, well, our Fourth Avenue church is great. They gave this much money and this many people showed up. Now it's going to be about your love, your focus on Christ, it's going to be that. We need to brag on the right things. Anything before we go on? Because the next bit is a little strange. Warning. Luke does this. He, he puts us right in the middle of conversations without any context that we're, well, not for us. Because everybody else knew the context. Luke didn't fell in. Like the sermon to the two men to Emmaus. 
Luke didn't feel that was necessary to tell us what was said. So here we go. Uh, chat box is open if you want to put something in later. Later, sorry, two Scottish there. 21, at the same, and at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you love to have seen that, by the way? I would love to see Jesus' face beaming. Uh, I think we will one day, but I would have loved to have seen this. said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were well pleased to do. Okay. <clears throat> is this any way to, to run a war? Um, normally, we would like the rich and powerful people to also follow. But Jesus bypassed them. Not because being rich and powerful means you're bad people. Rich and powerful people are people too. I think it's because rich and powerful people don't realize they need Jesus. Whereas poor and broken people, they know they are in need. Maybe that's it. I know that Mark put it this way. He said the common people heard him gladly. And I like that bit. I've, uh, I've said this not so much actually in recent years, and I need to say it more. I said it a lot um, when I was working in Michigan and in Colorado and in West Virginia. I'm very proud of what I'm about to tell you, and I'm a little ashamed of what I'm about to tell you at the same time. And after I say it, I think you'll understand what I mean. In all of these ministries, they, they were full of successes and great things. But every single one of the best ideas, every single one of our best ministries came from the pew, not the pulpit. It was people that said, I have an idea, or I would like to try. When the pulpit would try to drive it, it would stutter along and sometimes do all right. But it was when the people came up with ideas and they went, you know, we'd like to try this. And we got behind them that we saw God at work. Uh, in Rochester, the feeding of the homeless in Cass Park, that started with one of our single ladies um, in her 30s. I don't think she'd mind me saying that at the time who was driving up through downtown um, in, um, Detroit in a, in a snowstorm, I think. Maybe I'm getting too dramatic, but I think it was cold. I think there were flurries that day. And she saw these huddled people in the park. And instead of coming to church, she turned around, found a grocery store a couple miles away, bought all the hot dogs that she could buy and buns and fixins, and went back and started handing them out um, those, from, her, from her car. I didn't know anything about it until I saw her. I said, Stephanie, and I'm give her all the credit, Stephanie Corp. Uh, I said, Stephanie, I haven't seen you at church for a month or so. She got all embarrassed. And she said, well, once I started this, Sunday's my day off. I've been bringing them food. And, I, and she goes, I'll come back to church. I said, don't you dare. No, we need to come to you. And so the church started making homemade food and showing up with a, a truck full of um, uh, barbecue grills, and they'd set it out and reheat, and we'd feed the homeless. That would have never happened if you'd left it up to Patrick. You have to let the people um, hear from God too, and let the people be moved with the Spirit of God. I think that's what's going on here, is that it's a, it's a roots up, it's not applied down, and you do need to know that this was shocking. All the way up 
until the last century in European countries, you have a church of Sweden, you have a church of Denmark, you have the church of England, you have the church of Scotland. If the ruler is this, you are this. Now, it's not in Europe and like it's not um, enforced anymore. But back in the early days of Christianity, you'd go convert the king and he'd tell everybody, all right, line up and be baptized. You read that in your history? It was top down. How effective was it? Not that much. It works better when it's from the people. And I don't even want to say from the common folk, not like me. From the people who have come to congregate and find the Holy Spirit and reflect Jesus. All the best ministries came from the pew, not the pulpit. So uh, perhaps that's what he's trying to say here. And, oh, hang on, look over here. Putting the focus on God rather than ourselves. And Neil, uh, Neil says, uh, would this be the same as the first will be last and the last will be first? You know, I think so, Neil. I really do. Um, when I was a boy, they tried to make that a, um, I don't know what the, what the word would be. It's not an ordinal, uh, but it's in order. In other words, that, um, the people that were dead first get to go into heaven. They were trying to make it an order of how you enter heaven. Now, I think that it is, um, it's more like when Jesus said, if you lose your life for me, you'll gain it. You know, he's turning everything upside down, which by the way, the apostles, that was one of the official charges against them in the book of Acts. These men have turned Jerusalem upside down. Um, that we're supposed to kind of, invert the pie and go let's let's do a different way so yeah um and this is something we perhaps should be bringing up more um i'm trying to tread very carefully here the people who suffer most during the quarantine are the elderly who are isolated and have nowhere to go parents with many small children and they've run out of ideas to do and their food budgets through the roof. Kids who rely upon school food to, for their food and for a safe place to be. Um, parents with special needs children and special needs adults. You know, we, um, when I see protest, I generally see protests full of people that have a lot of food in the pantry and petrol in their big trucks and I'm going, Let's, um, let's remember the voices that we don't hear. Let's pay attention to those voices too, somehow. And um, we have been called to reach those that were not reached by the culture. Um, if you look at Jesus, it was always the people left behind by everybody else. That's who he got. Um, looking over, I think we're up to date. The, what does throw me here, I said it's very strange is I still don't understand why it was really great for God to bypass the rulers. Maybe that just bought Jesus an extra three years of teaching time because the rulers would have killed him early. I just, I don't have the context, but he goes on verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one who knows the son, who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Um, I don't actually have a problem with this, this paragraph. And here's why. Jesus is merely phrasing in a different way, John 14, the first six verses. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
I'm watching a limited series on Netflix right now about back in the 80s and 70s when uh, that whole Eastern meditation guru, Bhagwan Rajneesh thing got going. And if you, you, some of you may remember this, they bought a massive amount of acreage outside the tiny town, I think 50 people, Antelope, Wyoming, and they moved in. And all of a sudden, you've got literally thousands of people walking around in these saffron robes. Uh, and it talks about how the Bhagwan was able just to hold you and, and all, all this kind of power and such. And I was listening to the Bhagwan and his speech, because these are old archival um, films, but I was, I was listening. And he said, the, the Messiah will come again, but it will not be Jesus. It will not be Buddha. It will not be a white man. It will not be a black man. It'll just be an enlightened man. And I'm going, well, thanks for the description. You're not very helpful at a police sketch, but all right, okay. His idea was there are many ways to get to wherever you want to be. Well, when I was a boy, I can remember taking a class and it was in ancient medieval history. Um, our education system was a little bit different. So yeah, that was a ninth grade class, ancient and medieval history. And the teacher drew um, a wheel, eventually it became a wagon wheel, uh, with chalk on the board. And he put God in the center. And he said, all these religions are merely spokes on the same wheel and they're all coming to the same place. Well, I was uh, offended beyond words because I was a member of the one true spoke. Uh, and I, I did not, uh, I didn't even like the other Christian spokes on there and you're, and you're importing Hindu and, and no, no, no. I would still be offended if somebody did that with, to me with a map, held up a map and said, all of these are many roads, but no matter which one you take, you will end up at your destination. No, you won't. You can go to the airport. What plane am I on? What would you like? No, no, that won't get me where I, I, I need to be. I do believe that a lot more people are saved than we are, have ever imagined. I just, I feel the love of God compels that belief in me. That said, Jesus makes it exclusive to him. Buddha is not getting you in. A Bhagwan is not getting you in. It a, a pope is not getting you in. It has to go through Jesus. A church leader is not getting you in. It has to go through Jesus. I, I really, I could get stuck there for a long time, but I, I, hope that, I hope that we're all clear on this. He is saying, you're not going to know anything about Jesus unless I tell you, and you're not going to know anything about God unless I tell you. That to me means I don't need to read some books on theology that go on at such incredible length over something God never brought up. Let's just look at Jesus. This is one of the reasons why Hebrews, as you know, Fourth Avenue members, is the one book I've had to just take one book to a desert island. It would be Hebrews because it just continually reminds us Jesus is what God looks like, sounds like, acts like, talk like focus on Jesus. And again, the transfiguration was just a chapter ago. Um, 72 have been given full power, but how is easy it is for them to become full of themselves. Amen, 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 because of it. And Jesus, Jesus cautions against that. 
Is he saying blessed are those who heed this warning? Is that why they're blessed? I think so. And I think that they're blessed because they're in the group that gets the news first. Um, we are so incredibly blessed because we're in a, we, for some reason, we were in families, we were born in the right place at the right time. We've heard about Jesus. And of course, the whole thing about Jesus is taking these blessings and passing them on, not rejoicing in the blessings as if they were your due or if they make you more special than another being. He turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Amen. You know, I, I would not want to have lived during that time. But if there was a time machine, I would like to go and at a safe distance, see some of this stuff. I, I would just have loved to. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. As another phrase in scripture, angels long to look upon the things that these humans were going to get to see. Um, if you, speaking of angels, I just gotta say this. If you've worshiped with us at Fourth Avenue today, wasn't the first song an absolute hoot? That was amazing. The, 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 the Duckworths, um, that's it. I'm, I'm putting them up for Sound of Music. Uh, they, are the, they are the new Duckworth family singers. And, um, I'm hiring Sylvie to be the morale officer for uh, Fourth Avenue. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting applause, yes. Oh my goodness. I do, I, I'm gonna ask Mark if I can just have a recording of that on my phone to play every now and then. Um, anyway, I told, when I was, we were watching, I turned over to Cammie and I said, I bet the angels are laughing it up right now. I bet the angels are calling each other, look. But isn't it interesting that God reserved some things and didn't even give them to angels. He waited until we hurt. So cool. Now we get to what so many sermons have been on. Um, but before we do, I need to remind you of Samaritans. Samaritans were a branch of the Jewish faith. They were not necessarily mixed blood with Gentiles. That is an old ancient insult. Uh, all of us are mixed blood to some degree or another. They were at least as pure Jewish as Jewish people were Jewish. And they considered themselves Jewish, but they lived in Samaria. Therefore, they were called Samaritans. Think of it this way. In the churches of Christ, there is a... Um, Oh, was at one time a very large portion of us, uh, it was a minority, but it was a large minority, uh, were against using any money don't, given in a church for cooperative uh, measure, uh, activities with other churches, like colleges, orphanages, missionaries. What, um, some of them went so far as to not have kitchens in their church building, because uh, you know, they would use that, Paul, don't you have, um, Paul said, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? So they put the, if you're in Texas, the, the kitchen is next door. They, they would build it right next door uh, um, and there'd be a covered walkway to it. I'm going, that's pretty risky. Um, but what did we call these people? We called them antis. Guess what? They didn't call themselves anti. They called themselves the Church of Christ. They called us the liberals. So be aware Samaritans didn't call themselves Samaritans. They called themselves the true Jews. 
And there's no fight worse than a family fight. Ask any cop when they get the code, whatever it is, that it's a domestic dispute, they don't go alone. That's when you go carefully. You go measure because if you're going to be killed, that's um that's probably one of the best shots you're gonna get for being killed. And this is a domestic fight that goes deeper than just that because this was over land. Family and land were tied together, period. And the Samaritans had stayed, they had not been taken into captivity. When it says the Jewish people were taken into captivity, the highest estimate I've ever seen is that 17% were taken, physically dislodged. It's, it was almost always your um, royal family and representatives of uh, the high political classes, the rich landowners, and some of the intelligentsia would be taken, which most of the time would be priest um, when you're talking about the Jews. When they came back, of course, generations later, they found that the rest of the Jews had moved in. And so it's a fight over family, it's a fight over land, and it's a fight over the inspiration of the scripture. Because the Samaritans, boy, am I going to open up some can of worms here. The Samaritans kept the Bible they had while the Bible was still being written by people in Babylonian captivity. A lot of our Bible was written, First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, a lot of the prophets. They were written in captivity and edited heavily in captivity to help everybody know your story, this is who we are. Remember, you've got to keep the story going. And then they come back and the Samaritans are going, we don't know that God didn't give us those books. We're just going to hold on to the Pentateuch. This is our book and some of the Psalms and such. So it's a religious fight. It's a family fight. It's a nation fight over land, which is still going on between the Jews and the Palestinians, right? Uh, which means everybody, the war, it just sucks in everybody. This is, a Samaritan was the worst person on the world, in the world, if you were a Jew. They were worse than a Babylonian. They were worse than a Greek. They were worse than Antiochus Epiphanes, who would slaughter pigs, his people, by his orders, would slaughter pigs inside the temple of God, on the altar of God. A Samaritan was still worse. It is so important to remember this. But whoever is your Samaritan, it might be a politician, that you did you despise it might be uh, a group it might be a, a transgendered person who um, said hey i'm a girl and knocked your girl off of the team on track and field and now you're mad at that person and make it personal i'm just saying if that's if that happened to you and that might be your samaritan I have Samaritans in my life. I try very hard to not have Samaritans in my life. And every time I think I'm free and clear, God shows me one. I'm going, ah, oh. uh, my love had not yet hit that corner of the floor. I got to work on this. We, um, we need to know this in our head. And then you need to remember one other thing. Jesus had just tried to go into a town of the Samaritans and they wouldn't let him in. He has every right to unleash on the Samaritans at this stage. It is the placement of the story and the personnel in the story that we, we miss. Because we just go, oh, he was a Samaritan. So he was like, like a foreigner 
or like a person of a different color, maybe that lived nearby or somehow, but then Jesus reached out to this minority. No. This is as my, my son-in-law, Josh Graves, preached while my son was still in uniform uh, as a Marine, and Josh was absolutely correct. He said, to those on the front lines, the Samaritan might be the guy rigging the IEDs. That's your Samaritan. And around that time, Josh wrote a very good book, which I'd recommend, with a very odd title called How Not to Kill a Muslim. And um, by the way, he was, he was suggested that title by Muslims he was working with. He did not want to use it, but they used it. It's a good book. Um, but yeah, you know, I can remember my son coming in from training um, with a blackened eye with feet where the skin had actually been coming off. We were having to bind up his skin on his feet. And when I said, I've never heard, you know, I said, son, I've never heard you complain. And his response was, da, there's somebody somewhere right now training to kill me. I have to train harder than them. It is so easy to forget we have Samaritans. You know, I've followed a, a truck a couple of years ago now that had a bumper sticker that said a Muslim killed my son. Well, I could, I could tell you right now what was behind it. it. It had to have been a military situation and they weren't going to forgive and they were going to paint everybody with the same brush. So when Jesus opens up with the Samaritan, he is getting deeply, deeply personal. And it's going to be offensive to everybody that is listening. And by the way, yes, even to a Samaritan. Because what real good Samaritan would help a Jew? So it doesn't matter what side you're on. He's going to be an equal opportunity offender in this. And he has the right to do it because they just rejected him. That's what makes this an amazing placement. We ready? You know the story. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty good encapsulation of uh, the books. The first bit is from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. The second bit comes from Leviticus, um, Leviticus 19. Pretty good summation. Little loose on a translation, but this is, this is probably important to know as well. They felt free to paraphrase. I can remember when the New English Bible came out and the Living Bible and like, Oh my goodness, the preachers went crazy going, that's a paraphrase. If you've ever read Paul quoting the Old Testament, you're going to hear paraphrase. They, they felt free to paraphrase. You know, this is the point. But anyway, that was a good answer. Love your neighbors yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. There you go. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who do I have to be nice to? Who do I have to love? What is the arc of this? We were told to love everybody, but those Baptists do this, and those Muslims do that, and those Catholics do this. No, let's, what are the qualifications? How far do I have to spread this neighbor thing? 
In reply, Jesus tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Not an uncommon thing. People without land, people without power, often banded together and um, did what they did to have to survive. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed on the other side. Well, when I was a boy, we would all go, oh, that's just horrible. I'm going to tell you right now, I spent the first 30 years of my life passing by anybody homeless or asking for funds on the other side. I actually, I'm not proud of any of this. I switched sides of the street so I didn't have to engage with them. I had been taught that they're lazy, they're all there for themselves, that the government has programs. I, I had all, all of the reasons to not care. Uh, it took me meeting homeless people and learning stories to change my mind. Um, again, not proud of it, but there it is. The, the, the very same lips that just were just that terrible priest just seeing him and going on also told people you know those people have programs that they would just get off drugs or isn't it interesting the same mouth can bless god and the same mouth can curse god we, we at least i need to always be careful that my old prejudices don't surface again and again and again um he, they they stripped here the priest oh no now, a Levite. Well, Levite was a priestly family, so this is kind of priest light or assistant priest, you know, um, the auxiliary of the priesthood. When he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. Now, I've had all kinds of people talk to me about why they would have done this. Because the priest as a body were not heartless people. The Levites as a body were not heartless people. Why would they pass on the other side? I've been told two main reasons and then a third reason that I like. Reason one um, is that they had to go do a priestly function and they could not become unclean by getting involved with whatever was beside the rope. That was one. Two, they thought the man was bait. Now those of you who lived in rural, rural countryside roads you heard about people who stopped to help a person by a car um, and then they were robbed and attacked and killed. The, the, the whole girl in distress in the car was bait. That used to happen quite a lot. Now when you see a, a, a car off the side of the road, you can call on your cell phone to get them help. You, know, you had that remove. You didn't used to back then. So either bait or they needed to keep themselves unclean. I have Another, and I've never seen this in a book. This is just me. I think they passed on the other side because Jesus was trying to make a point. So in this story, they had to pass by the other side. All right. Um, you, you have to have a villain in a story. And he gives them two. And you can almost see them. It's a priest. Oh, good. Oh, it's a Levite. Oh, yeah. Oh, and now a Samaritan. And Jesus would have drug out the word a bit. A Samaritan. Ooh. Have you ever been to one of those old style plays? Very, very popular um, in Britain at one time, but in the American West, they were super popular. 
where the audience is supposed to engage with the actors at every stage. Whenever the, the, um, the beautiful young girl comes on, we're all supposed to go, ah, and whenever the villain comes on, go boo. And I love those old things. And I went to several of them out west, um, the, the two different times I lived there. Uh, one of my favorite guys, the villain came on once and he only heard a few boos and he stopped. And he looked at the crowd and he goes, let's try that again. And he just walked off, came back on, get involved. And I know whenever they said Samaritan, the crowd's going, oh, oh, Samaritans, boo, we don't like those bad Samaritans. Um, kind of like saying Yankees, if you're in a Boston bar, I guess. Uh, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he saw him. It is, it's possible that um, that word is, has a different meaning. But when he saw him, he didn't pass over on the other side. The other two said they saw him too. When he saw him, his reaction was different to take pity on him. And you can almost see the people looking at each other going, it's got to be a trap. <laughs> this story can't end this way. This is a bad story. We don't like this story. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. When I was a kid, I was just going, wow, he's allowed to have wine on him? They never talked to us about the wine, but I got so easily distracted. The wine and the oil, that's the medicine they had. Um, he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. Um, that's two days wages is a rough of the, of the common working man. We don't know that he was a common working man. But let's figure it out. If, if you're getting uh, $12 an hour, uh, two full days work, back then a, a day's work was 12 hours. That's how much he left behind. Uh, and told the innkeeper, look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He left it open-ended. Oof. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who'd had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Don't divorce this from what happened earlier. Do you remember that people wanted Jesus to call down fire on cities and people that did not accept him? They wanted him to destroy them, and yet he did not. He walked on showing mercy, and he said, that's what you do. You don't call down the fire. You show mercy. What, to your worst enemy ever? Yep. Especially to your worst enemy ever. Show them mercy. It is, um, it's stunning when you get those two stories and you put them together and you know the history of the Samaritans. Um, the answer is, see, there we go. Um, love your neighbor. The original was love your neighbor as yourself. The Samaritan, the despised one, was the neighbor. Yeah, um, the Samaritan loved the beaten up guy the same way he wanted to be loved if he had been the beaten up guy. And that, uh, do you remember the joy thing that they would teach you in Bible class? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. God never says that. It's Jesus first and then love each other as yourself. It's to reach down into your own heart and to say, if, I, if that were me, this is what I would want. Um, I've had people call me 
and text me. Uh, none of you, and I'm and um, I'm pretty sure I can say nobody from fourth. So don't be trying to guess who just desperately needed human contact. And so they're asking me questions I know they really don't have, and they want to engage more because they just really need the contact. I'm a person that doesn't need as much contact as the average person. And so I've had to continually remind myself, no, if you were them, you would need this, so let's supply this. Let's give it to them, let's help them, let's go ahead and do this. And it's, it's not a matter of um, not taking Sabbath and not looking after myself. It's a matter of, uh, as the word just was put there, empathy. You know, sympathy does not require an action. That's why we can send a sympathy card. Done. Empathy requires that your heart vibrate at the same frequency that their heart does. Um, if you were at the virtual art crawl, on Friday, we had some real sound and, and, and technical issues, but it was still fun and Danielle rocked it as host. She never lost that smile of hers. But I held up a 12 string guitar that was the first guitar I ever owned. Um, it's the one I was playing when I met Cammy. It's a very important guitar to me. It was made in a very special way by a, a, a guitar master named Kazu Yari. If we're listening to music in, the, in our room, Sometimes I'll just walk over and put my hand a few inches away from that guitar and I will feel the vibrations. And I've had guests over before and say, we've heard you talk about that. Can you show us? And I'll say, sure. And I'll turn on you know, a television or whatever and whenever there's music there, you can feel the vibrations. I often think that what God is asking us to do is for our heart to vibrate with his heart when we see even our enemy. What would Jesus do for this person? This is what we need to do. Uh, even if that person will turn around and hate you whenever they're well, you go ahead and fix them. All right, we've, we've hit the uh, magic 1145. Uh, anybody have questions or anybody want to say hi to anybody else in the room? No, people are waving goodbye then. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Oh, very. I, I just love seeing your faces. Does me good. It really does. I miss my church family. Um, you know, I, I still think that uh, when we come back, it may be in stages. The governor, governor may say groups of 50. You know, we don't know. So we're trying to lay out scenarios for each one. But however we do it, we're going to get together again one day. Uh, and then, and I'm not saying in heaven, we're not, we're not doing that funeral, <laughs> right? Um, I, I think all of you are going to make it to heaven, but I don't think you're on the express train. So uh, we, we look forward to seeing you then, right? You guys have a great week. You Cheerio. too. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick.